Wow, that's great, Tab. Good job, honey. <clears throat> See Jenny back there. We need to insure your fingers for about $6 million. <clears throat> <clears throat> well, today we're uh, going to be again in chapter 3 of the book of Proverbs. And uh, we're going to look today at uh, one of the greatest promises and probably one of the greatest principles that's found in all of the Bible. And if you've been saved for just a couple of months, you've been saved for just a couple of years, or been saved for a lot of years, this verse should be one that you memorize pretty quickly. I think it's one of the greatest verses, and probably one of the first verses that when I got saved and got back with the Lord that I really put into my life. And uh, when we look at this verse today, there's a couple of things I want to accomplish. I never teach the Bible or try to preach the Bible without having two or three goals that I want to accomplish. And uh, this passage is such a dynamic passage and has so much to it that uh, first thing I want to do is I want to show you how that you take a verse like this and you dissect it. I want to show you how to take a verse apart in the Bible. And uh, I want to show you how that when you do that, your goal is to squeeze every drop out of it. When you're done with it, you want to have just about everything that you can possibly get out of it. So we want to accomplish that. And then there's a single principle here or a theme of this couple of verses that I think, uh, well, we want to see today. And we want to also try to take it and develop it in your own life. Now, the first thing that we're going to talk about here is the, is the, the second thing, the overall concept of this passage in this verse. And it simply deals with the incredible concept of God's hand in directing your life. Now, that sounds like a simple thing. It sounds like it's nowhere near as exciting as if I was going to tell you who the Antichrist was this morning or lay out some great deep book of the Bible or some great truth or tell you where UFOs came from or who JFK. But I guarantee you the number one thing in your life that you better get down at some point in your life is the understanding of God directing you on the paths of life. The leading of God in the believer's life. And, you know, there are many paths that we travel in our lives. Most people don't ever quantify it or think about it, but it's true. You know, there's a path that once you get saved of your Christian life, and you'll have to walk that path for many, many years. When a man or a woman gets married, there's a path that a husband has to go down. And for a wife, there's a wife, a path that the wife has to go down. Then after a while, you have a child, and now there's another path you've got to go down in life, and it's the path of being a father or a path of being a mother. Lots of different paths that life is going to present you that you've got to go down and you've got to, you've got to understand uh, some things about God leading you. There's the path as God fulfills uh, uh, His will in your life that you become more like the Lord Jesus Christ in everything you do. There's the path that you begin to fulfill God's plan in your life, that you do for God what, wants you to do, what He wants you to do. I mean, there's all kinds of people today that are, I believe they're truly saved, and I believe they're on their way to heaven, but they simply do not understand what God wants them to do. Why? Because they don't understand the leading of God, God's hand in their life. There's the path that, that uh, ministry will take. If you develop yourself as you should, you're going to get to the point where you begin to let God use you in ministry, and that is another path. And yet that path will divide itself up into many other paths, depending on where you go. 
We have seen and understood now that the book of Proverbs is about a wise man. And we've come through a lot of different scenarios of that, and we know that now from the book of Proverbs. And we also should know that the wise man will be a Christian that realizes that a life without God's hand in it, a life without God's direction, will always be a dead-end street. You're going to find God's people who are say, I believe they're as saved as, as I am, and I believe they're going to go to heaven just like I know I'm going to go to heaven. But their life is an absolute dead-end street. Their life is total chaos, and probably will stay so for the rest of their life. And you know, we like to blame our problems, and we talk about this all the time on everybody else and every other circumstance, but I guarantee you, the basic fundamental issue of why we have problems in our lives and we have chaos in our lives is simply because we go through a path of life or multiple paths of life without God's hand in it, without God's direction. And that'll never, never, never work for you. And it's the, we also know that it's the promises and the principles of life that are found in the Bible, like the one we're going to look at today, that form the foundation and the bedrock of our walk and our relationship with God. I was, I, it was funny. Everybody was excited when we were going to start the book of Proverbs. and I, I was too. I told you I've, I never really taught it verse by verse and probably been through it a hundred times or so, but it was exciting to me and everybody was excited about Proverbs. But, but now how quickly we see that when we begin to do it biblically, this book unveils who we really are in life in spite of who we think we are. It's an incredible book. And you'll see by the time we're done, some of God's people will be done. You know, it looks like a great book. We can get all the wisdom of God, and everybody wants knowledge today. Everybody wants wisdom. But they don't want to do what they've got to do to attain that. And uh, when you start to get into a book that from the outside, you think, wow, God's wisdom. But then you see all the things you've got to change and what you've really got to become to be. This book, Biblically Pride, will, as far as I'm concerned, will either make you or break you. Now, as I stated, this is one of the great promises and one of the great principles in the Bible we're going to look at, and it's in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Let's look at it. Here's what it says. If you don't have this marked in your Bible, if you don't have this on your memorization sheet, I'd get it on before you leave today. For it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now, Father, we come to you today, and we thank you, and we praise you for all that you do for us. We do love you. Now, Lord, I believe that the majority of the people here today, if, if maybe all of them, uh, Lord, I believe that they really want to do what you want them to do. I don't believe there's anybody here today, and maybe I'm wrong on that, but I, I don't think there's anybody here today that just, has come to church because they want to live a life that's a dead-end street. But so many of us wind up on that dead-end street and help us today to understand why. Help us to understand this great truth that probably is one of the greatest truths in the Bible. And I remember years and years and years and years ago how that you gave me this, and it was the cornerstone for where I built my relationship with you. So help us today. Maybe there's some young Christian out there that they're where I was so many years ago. Help them build their foundation on this great principle as you did me. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name and sake we ask it. Amen. You know, sometimes people get confused by the way I, I use words. Uh, I'll talk about principles and I'll talk about promises. 
And I've had people ask me before, what's the difference between a principle and a promise? Well, a principle, uh, not, all, not all principles are promises, but all promises are principles. There are some general principles in the Bible. You go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and uh, it gives you the cycle of life. And if you take that and really like, look it out there and count them up and match it up to what you got in the world, it, it actually shows you the cycle of life that you find in the Bible. Now, that's a principle, see? But that's not a promise necessarily. I mean, uh, you don't get around a campfire and somebody give you a favorite verse and it's Ecclesiastes chapter 1 through 10. It, you, know, it's, that's, you don't hear that very often. So all, 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 you got to realize that there's a difference between the two. But there's also a difference between, when we talk about principles, there's also a difference in how you use principles. I talked to the, the uh, people in the people ministry yesterday about this. And, you know, you have what we call blanket principles. And you have principles that are found in the Bible that you can apply to, it's like, it's like some kind of ointment on a sore. You can put it on just about anything. You can apply that, this principle, it's, a, it's a, what I call a blanket principle. You can wrap it around anybody no matter where they're at. But then the second type of principles are principles that are design principles. And they are designed for specific situations in circumstances that you deal with. I, I give him the illustration yesterday. You know, if you went to the doctor, <clears throat> he just doesn't have one medicine on his shelf. Somebody goes in with high cholesterol, somebody goes in with high blood pressure, somebody goes in with this problem, this problem. He doesn't give them all the same medicine. You know, he, he has a specific medicine that deals with a specific problem. Why we ever thought that you could just take a biblical principle and apply it across the board to every circumstance? You can't. Now, when you understand principles and how to use them, and I think that's really the key of being good and working with people, it's not just about learning the principles. It's to understand which principles you apply where and when. That's the key. Anybody can get a list of principles, but taking a blanket principle and trying to put it to a specific problem when there is a specific principle for that specific problem, you see it can become problematic and it, becomes, it can cause a lot of problems. And you're going to find that uh, you're going to, in dealing with principles, that there's two kinds. Now, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, that's a blanket principle. You can apply that to anything in your life, anybody, anywhere. You can give that verse to anybody, no matter where they're at, no matter what they're struggling with, that's a blanket principle. Now, if I'm dealing with family problems or I'm dealing with marital problems, now that be first, for the marriage, that'd be 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you have, what did I give you when we went through that a couple of weeks ago on Thursday night? What, 20, 21 direct principles that you've got to learn how to apply to 20 different scenarios that are found in there? And what makes you good with people and what makes you people to seek you out to get good biblical counseling when they're going through something is you're not just the fact that you know them, but you're able to read the scenarios and understand which one goes where. Now, this passage starts out with the instructions to a son. The trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And as I said, this is a general principle. You can give this to anybody. But I want to show you how to do a word study <coughs> in a passage like this. <coughs> I want to I show you how that when you sit down <coughs> with this verse, I mean, <coughs> stop and think of it. 
No, I know I've been in this a lot longer than most of you, but take it for my example today. I just read the verse. I'll read it again. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Great promise. Now watch how we take it apart. Watch how we key in on certain words and certain concepts that just take this thing and develop it from what you look at and say, how am I going to preach an hour on that? I look at it and say, how am I going to get done with all this in an hour? That's the difference. Now, trust is the great word to study in the Bible. Uh, for a Christian, uh, and I'm sure you probably already know this, there's two distinct aspects of trust. The first aspect for a Christian in trust is the day you got saved. The day you got saved, you trusted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. And the second aspect of trust in the Bible is after you're saved, trusting Him on a daily basis <clears throat> through everything in your life. So there's two aspects to it. Now the trust in Proverbs chapter 3 is the second one. It's not dealing with salvation. Uh, in, in Titus chapter 1 verse 2, it says, In hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. That's salvation. God promised you that He would save you. You know, people get messed up on a lot of different things. <clears throat> people think that you have to have certain feeling when you got saved. I've had people got saved, and I say, and they've said to me, "I hope I got saved right. I didn't. I didn't feel anything." I've had other people say, "Well, you know, uh, when my sister got saved, uh, 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 she cried. I, I didn't cry." I've seen people that when they got saved, they were joyous. They jumped around. They were happy. I've seen people when they got saved, got up and say, well, thank you, preacher. That was really good. Salvation is never about the feeling. Salvation is never based on the circumstance. Salvation is simply based on the promises that God gave you. He told you, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's a promise. He said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. I'm not saved because I feel saved. Now, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but there's some days when Bob Alexander gets up that he doesn't feel saved. And I'm sure there's days in your life that you don't feel saved. Aren't you glad your salvation isn't based on how you feel about it? Amen. See, I can have the worst day of my life and I can take comfort in the fact that I'm saved. Because my feelings have nothing to do with my salvation. My salvation and your salvation is simply based on the naked promises of the Word of God plus nothing. You say, well, I don't feel saved. That doesn't mean you're not saved. Did you, do what the, did you claim the promise? If you, if you claim the promise, you're saved. It's just that simple. But we get all kinds of weird concepts about that, you know. And, and it's not true. Salvation is simply never based on the promise. It's always based on the promises of God. And uh, when, you, when you get saved, then it's the same principles and the same promises, but a different subject, that keeps you after you're saved. And, uh, you know, you get saved and you have now, you have to fulfill your walk with God. And both your salvation and both your fellowship after you're saved are both built on the same thing, principles and promises. Just about two different areas, that's all. Trust is a key word in the Bible. And when it comes down to our life with God and our walk with God, it's based on a different set of promises than salvation, but it's based on the promises and the principles. 
2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now that's a saved man. I, I, I've laid out the book of Hebrews several times for you, and I've told you that in Hebrews you have a comparison. It's a comparison of chapter by chapter of the Old Testament versus the New Testament, and he shows you chapter by chapter and section by section how that the New Testament is better than the Old Testament. And in chapter 8, verse 6, he says this, and this is what makes it better. He says that the New Testament is built and established on better promises than they had in the Old Testament. See? When you get into your Christian life, whether it's uh, after you're saved, it's always about the promises. And, and all, not all principles will be promises, but all promises will be principles. And that's a great thing when you understand that. And the two questions that you and I have to continually ask ourselves over and over again every day of our lives is simply this. If I can save him, if I can trust him, trust, if I can trust him by the promises he gave me to save me, why can I not trust him with the promises to get me through everything in life every day? And I must tell you, the second was a lot harder than the first one. But in both cases, the answer is the promises of God. And uh, do you know why some of God's people, bless their hearts, <clears throat> and I pray for them, I, I, I feel sorry for them, but you know why some of God's people never get the victory in their lives that they want and we certainly need? It's simply the fact that they ever get to the place in their life where they can ever learn to trust God through the things of life. And trust is one of the most key words you're going to find in the Bible. Trust is the basic element that's key to every relationship and it's a fundamental bonding power of any relationship you're going to have. Not only is it important in the Bible, but it's important in everyday life. You know, in a husband and wife relationship, the key element above all the other aspects of that relationship is just based on one fundamental comment, concept, trust. That's all it is. I don't care where your relationship goes. I don't care if it's good, bad, or indifferent. I'm telling you this. The fundamental basic aspect of any relationship, whether it's in the Bible or it's in your personal relationship with somebody, will be the element of trust. I hear it all the time. He lies. I can't trust him. I hear it all the time. She deceived me. I can't trust her. I, I can't trust him. I can't trust her. You see, when, it, when, it, when, it be, when you begin to train up your children, you see it. We've talked about it, many of us. Your kids get to be 14, 15, 16 years old now, and you want to give them a little space. You know, you want to let them go out with their friends, and, and you say, uh, you know, call me at 10 o'clock and let me know where you're at, or I want you home by 11. And uh, you know what? They get home at, at, at 12.30. Trust is gone. You find out later that they said, well, I was over at Janice. They weren't over at Janice. They were over at Bill's. Now, that's a problem. It's a real problem if it's, a, if it's your son. <laughs> John's got a mattress so you can probably pick up. <laughs> trust is gone. And you know with your children when you can't trust them, what do you do? You, we, we've all been in that situation as your children grow up. They lie to you. They will deceive you. And they can be saved kids. But you know as well as I do, when you get that element of the world in their life, they're going to test the authority structure, 
and you're going to have to deal with it when they do it. If you don't deal with it when they're 13, 14, and 15, you'll never deal with it when they're 20, 21, and 22. But trust is gone. And you say to them, I'm taking away your phone. I'm taking away this. I'm taking away that. You don't go out for another 25 years. No, you can't have any time. You, you, since you were with this person and this person covered for you, you can't ever be with that person for a long time because you have to go through a process to restore that trust. And, you know, if, if, if a person will lie to you once, don't ever believe that because they got caught, they'll say, I never lied to you again. Problems are solved. It doesn't work that way. They will tell you what you want to hear. There has to be a, process, a biblical process to restore that trust. Now you, I've seen it with husband and wives where the trust is gone, and boy, I'll tell you what, they have problems for years, for years. It's never an easy task, but it's a biblical process to restore that trust. But I'm telling you, it says trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know why he starts with that? Because I'm telling you, trust is the fundamental element in your relationship with God. But it's also the fundamental relationship in any relationship you have. Now, you know this is true because uh, you can see it uh, in your friends and even sometimes in your family. You know what? You stop and think and, and really contemplate it for a while. The people in our lives that you, can, that you can really trust will be very few at the end of the day. And I'm not saying they're not your friends. I don't say they don't like you. They may, in some cases, they may, you may love you. But when it comes to certain things, you just can't trust them. There's people that are in your family that don't do right and don't live right that you wouldn't trust to watch your kids. There's people that you are your friends that, that you wouldn't trust to, 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 to do something in your home when you weren't there. You see, trust is the fundamental issue. And when it boils down to the bottom line, you know the people in our lives that we can trust really at the end of the day, pretty, not a many. I, I think in, in the ministry, trust is vital. I mean, I, I really do. I, I have people uh, all my life and everything that I've done, I've had people who I can, I can trust with my ministry to get it done. You know, that was the problem that Paul had with John Mark. And you remember the story of John Mark. John Mark wanted to go on a missionary trip with Paul. Paul said, okay, I'll take you. When they got out there and they get on the missionary trip and it got rough and it got tough and John Mark missed his mama, then he, he, he wanted to go back. And, and Paul, I'm sure Paul said to him, look, son, we're in it now. I need you. We've got responsibility here. There's things that we got to, you got to cowboy up. You got to man up. We've got to be able to accomplish some things. We've got some things that God has called us to do. John Mark headed for home. And the next time they wanted to go out, John Mark signed up again. And Paul wouldn't take him. He violated that trust in ministry. Now, thank God, a little bit later on, uh, he gets it right and he grows up and he learns some things. And, uh, and I don't know if you know it or not, but that's the, that's the Mark. John Mark is the Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark in your Bible. And a little bit later on, Paul says, uh, when he's writing one of his letters, he says, bring Mark with him. He's profitable to me under the ministry. But I guarantee you, he had to go through a process to reestablish that trust. To me, trust in the ministry is absolutely vital. I mean, I, it just is. 
And, uh, I, I, you know, I, over the years, God builds a, uh, in any pastor's life, if he knows what he's doing, God builds a core of people around you who, who love the church as much as the pastor does. And they will invest their life, their families in it. And you never have to worry about, uh, you know, uh, when you give them something to do, you know they're going to get it done. One of the bywords of the word trust is, is, a, is a big word for me, and it's the word loyalty. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a tremendous word for me. And as I said, it's a byproduct of the concept of trust. The two go hand in hand. Now, I, I, I can't speak for you and where you're at, but I I'm basically can, for a few minutes here, can speak about me. In my life, there is no more sacred trust outside my family. There is no more sacred trust than the ministry God has given me. And I understand that for me, as a pastor in the ministry, that loyalty is based on my trust, and it comes in three aspects. There's a priority of loyalty, and there's a priority of trust for me in the ministry uh, to God. The first one is my loyalty to the Word of God. Now, I know I, I, I need to be loyal to you, and, I, and I'll get to that in a minute, and I am loyal to you, but can I say something to you? My loyalty to you is worthless if I'm not loyal to the Word of God first. That just makes us good old boys. That just makes us buddies. See, my loyalty to you as a church will be absolutely worthless if it's not my loyalty isn't first to the Word of God. And then the second thing my loyalty has to be is to the ministry of this church. And then the third thing my loyalty is to is to you. Being loyal to you without being loyal to the book that keeps me straight, with loyal to the ministry which keeps you straight, then what's good is that we're buddies. I mean, it, it's just that simple. Uh, you know, I, I know uh, I, I, when I look at this thing, I can't put you above the first two. I understand that God gave me this ministry to me and my family. I understand that. Uh, this church, uh, uh, and, and he entrusted it to me. Now, let me just stop here for a minute and tell you something. I know I don't deserve it. If I deserved what I got, got what I deserved, I'd be in hell today screaming my lungs out. I don't deserve it. I understand that. I'm not somebody standing up here saying, well, I deserve all that God gives me. When somebody, I go someplace and somebody asks me how I'm doing, my answer is better than I deserve. Because I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve to have the Bible in my life. I, I, I told you after Thursday night when heaven came down and glory filled all our soul on Thursday night and that great time we had in the Word of God. I told you. I, I, don't, I, I don't know why God gave it to me. I mean, there's a million other guys out there. Why he chose me, why he let me inside that book, I have no idea. I'm glad he did. But I'll be the first one to tell you I don't deserve it. I, I don't deserve to read these books. You know what I deserve? I deserve to God to take a hot stick and stick, poke both my eyes out is what I deserve. I deserve God never let me look inside these sacred pages ever. But he did. I don't know why he did. I mean, I look around at the goofy churches out there and all the goofy stuff that goes on and all the ridiculous stuff that goes on in the name of Jesus Christ. Why, do I, why did God give me one that, that believes the Bible? Why did he put a Mel Shabak in my life? Why not somebody else's life? 
Why did he handpick my life and bring it down the line to give me what he gave me? I don't deserve it. I don't, and you think, if I, you think I sit around and think about all of it and say, boy, look at what I got, look at me, you're out of your mind. I don't deserve a thing about it. But he did. And because I recognize that, I will also tell you, I will stay loyal to the ministry and keep the trust that God has given me with the Word of God. You see, a lot of pastors, they won't get up and preach on the King James Bible 1611. Most of them don't believe it anymore, but there's some rascals out there that privately believe it, but they don't have the guts to stand in the pulpit and say it. See, I think it's just the opposite. Ever been in a situation where somebody's maligned you? And somebody's talked bad about you that didn't true. And they'd been in a circle of your friends that you thought were your friends. And they just rip you up one side and down the other and talk about you and say this and say this. And none of it's true, or even if it's half true, or even if it is true. And you know, you, you want, and you hear about it later, and you hear about that some of your quote unquote friends were in that little crowd. And they just stood by with their hands in their pockets and didn't say anything in your defense. Now, were you all human? Aren't we? Are you human? We're all human. We've been there. Zach's been there. Probably going to be there again four or five times. I know you've been there. He, I bought him a shirt. Been there, done that several times. All of you have. And you know, it isn't about, it isn't about anything other than when somebody just clobbers you when it isn't true because they got some personal motive, We'd all like somebody just to stand up and say, why don't you just shut your mouth before I shut it for you? Amen. Never happens. I say all that because they malign God in this book every day. They lie about him. They say that what he said in here wasn't really true. They change his word like he didn't know what he was talking about when he did. And I think God sits up in heaven sometimes and looks at this putrid church age and just looks for any guy, any gal, no matter who, that'll just stand up saying, shut your mouth or I'll shut it for you. That's my job. I'll declare this book till the Lord comes back. I'll take anybody on any time, any place, anywhere that wants to criticize God's word. You want to change it? Help yourself. You want to make fun of it? Help yourself. You come into my world and try to do it, or in my severe influence try to do it, I'll kick you six days from Sunday. You'll never know what hits you. You know why? Because God likes that. God wants somebody to stand up for him just like we want somebody to stand up for us. And there's only one thing you can stand up for God for today. You know why preachers just stand around with their hands in their pocket and say nothing? They're cowards. They're cowards. I look back at all God has given me and all God's done for me when I don't deserve it, and yet he's entrusted me with that book, and he's entrusted me with this church, and he's entrusted me with a ministry. You think I'm going to keep my mouth shut when somebody goes against the one who gave me what he's got and has got his hand in my life to make it happen? Well, I'll tell you, you don't know very much about life on planet Earth. He's God. He's the Lord. And I'll tell you what, when you get up and declare that book in this putrid age of Christianity, God just smiles. He just loves it. Somebody's sticking up for the book. Do you realize how much God loves that word? 
You realize that the issue today in all the world and always has been has never been winning people to Christ. It's never been ministry. It's never been preaching. It's never been soul winning. The number one issue in God's heart is truth. And when you stand for the truth, when you have the, when you have the wherewithal to stand for the truth, I know I don't deserve what I have. <clears throat> I know I don't deserve what God has given me. And therefore, the word trust to me and the word loyal to me when it comes to the word of God and down through the ministry and then in your world. And, and, and as you go on, I'll tell you, this aspect of trust. And in time, God gives you other men and women who love the church, love the ministry as much as I do. It doesn't matter, you know, if like last Sunday. It doesn't matter if I'm here or not. You're here because you're not come for me. You come because this is your church. You come because you're part of this. You're invested in it. This is our work. It means something to you. You're loyal to me. I thank you for that. But And you love me, I love you, but get it straight. It's through the ministry that God has given us together. And it's just that simple. When I have to love, when I have to have my loyalty through the word of God, through the ministry, then to you, you have to have your loyalty to me through the word of God, this church, and then to me. I'm third on the list. Loyal to the word of God. And that sacred trust that God has given you as he's given it to me. Loyal to the work of God. And the sacred trust of this church that he's given us and the young Christians that come in to protect it and to teach the truth. Then, third and final, you're loyal to the man of God. I'm third on the list, as I should be. Truth be known, I shouldn't be on the list. In any church, I don't care where it is, in any church, there'll be people who just come to take what they can get and never give anything back. Now, we don't have a big problem with that here. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. It exists in every church, but uh, we are a little different in some aspects. But you're going to find people who will never lift a finger to clean a bathroom. You'll find people to come to church to get the Bible. Their notebooks are filled. Their Bible's filled with what they get. They wouldn't replace a toilet paper. They wouldn't pick a vacuum cleaner up to clean the floor. They wouldn't do anything. They're the last ones here and the first ones out. Uh, you know, Truman Dollar, Eddie and I were with Truman Dollar. Penny and I were with Truman Dollar. Nancy and I were with Truman. Were you back there then, Nancy? Nancy was there. I spent almost 11 years with Pastor Truman Dollar. He's dead now. And uh, I, learned, I, I learned so much from him. And uh, I, I always appreciated him in, 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 in some ways. And, and I, I always never <coughs> took for granted that God didn't put me in that world for me to learn some things. And I had the unique ability to ask him things. And I had the unique ability to, 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 to learn from him. And he told me something one time that I never forgot. And I'll tell you, it's the, about ministry and about people. It's the single truest statement I ever heard in my life. He told me one time, we were talking about some circumstance in, in the church then, you know, and, and uh, he, he looked over at me. We were driving down to Springfield. I remember like it was yesterday. And we were talking back and forth, and I said, preacher, I said, I said, I, and I was young back then. I said, preacher, I said, I don't, I don't really understand that. 
And he looked over and he had a way of saying it. He always did. He looked over and he said, well, Bob, he always drew that well Bob out, you know. He said, well, Bob, he says, let me just tell you, son, and you want to learn this. People will never remember what you did for them yesterday. They're only going to want to know what you're going to do for them today. That is so true. That is so true. That is one of the absolute truest statements I've ever heard in my life. I had a family one time, and well, several families over the time, a family one time when we first started our church. And they didn't have a lot. And, you know, our church is, I help people. We just never brag about it. And uh, we, uh, you know, we, we try to help make sure everybody's got what they need whenever we can and all of those things. And, and this was a family like that. And I, I, you know, and I made sure they had gas when they had could come to church. And their kids uh, never, I can't, probably three or four Christmases, uh, we, I, we gave them money and gifts and that so their kids would not have a Christmas. You know, I can't live with that. And, uh, and uh, we tried to do everything we could do. And we helped them with food. And uh, when their car broke down, you know, we helped them get that fixed. And one day, uh, now I got to also tell you this. These people never did anything in the church. They never picked up any piece of paper. They never did anything. They never said, well, we need to help. We want to do that. Nothing. They took, 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 took. And one day, somebody called me on the phone, and it was on that multimedia facet, deep, dark sides of the bottomless pit, Facebook. <clears throat> and there on Facebook, somebody sent me that thing that this woman, the mom, is bad-mouthing the ladies in our church. And saying to the church is this and the people are this and, you know, I don't like these people and I don't like this. And so I called the husband on the phone and I, and I, I said, we need to have a meeting. And I sat down and, and, and I, I asked him, I said, look, I said, what's the deal here? And his wife was there and his wife said, well, you know what, there's just some ladies in the church that, that I just don't like. And I said, oh, I'm glad you explained it. I get it now. Those same ladies you don't like give their tithe every week when you don't. Those same ladies every week are the ones who put it together for your kids to have a Christmas. Those same people that you don't like. I got it now. You don't like the people in the church. You don't like the church. You just like our money. They didn't come back. I wonder why that was. I had a lady one time. Lied to us. Said she had some terrible problem, which she did. She got more terrible problems than she knows about. <laughs> she came to me and she said, look, I, I, got my, I got this terrible tragedy that happened and, and uh, I'm getting a check from, from, from back home to help me get where I need to go and, and I can't cash the check till Monday and uh, if, if the church could lend me the money, I'll, 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 as soon as I get the check, I'll, I'll get you the money back. And, and I said, absolutely. You got an emergency, which she did. I'll help you get there. We'll do it. No big deal. We gave her the money. She went up there never saw the check, found out two, three, four months later, not only did she go to tell us the story and got, I don't know, she only got like 200 some dollars, but she told the whiny story to somebody else and they gave her $700. When I figured it all up, she made 1100 bucks off of everybody. Cared nothing about the church. And then had the goal on, on her Facebook to badmouth the fact that we didn't do anything for her. Now, you know, that's the ministry. And I never worry about those things. I never lay awake night thinking about it. I know I told the people yesterday, I was many times in my Christian walk, walk I wanted to be, become uh, convert to Islam. 
Well, no, because Islam, in the Sharia law, you can kill people like that. But, you know, I, I never let those things bother me because I know there's a, there's a day coming when all that will be straightened out. I also have learned over the years that being in the ministry, you can't ever prejudge anybody. In ministry, you've got to allow yourself to be in the situation. If somebody wants to hose you, they let them hose you. You always do what's right, and if they hose you, then that's up between them and God, and God will deal with them. Amen. And you know what God does? He blesses us for doing what the right thing is. I mean, you can't, you can't read people's hearts. You can't read people's minds. Our job is to, is to put out the truth. You get hosed every once in a while, you do. But I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. I mean, ask yourself this question. My dentist tells me not to chew ice. Don't tell him. <laughs> this is a personal question. Ask yourself this. I ask myself this all the time. You're the pastor now. I'm gone. You're the pastor now. You're the pastor. How'd you like to build a church with people like you? How'd you like to be the pastor and have to build a church with people like yourself? I mean, you got to pay the bills. You got to operate the ministries. You got to do the work. How would you like people to be committed to your church the way you are committed to this one if you were the pastor? That's an excellent question to ask yourself. You know, someday I won't be here. I'll be gone. I'm 63 years old. I, I was watching a thing the other night on television, and I was listening, and it talked about this guy, and it showed his picture, and it said he was 70 years old. And I'm thinking to myself, that's really old. <laughs> then it realized I'm only seven years away from that. Two more years, I get to sign up for Medicare. I can't fathom that. I don't feel 63. I don't think like a 63-year-old. I, 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 never, I, never, I never give a waitress a tip if she asks me if I'm a senior citizen to get the discount. I'm not paying any senior citizen discount. Guy asked me one time at the grocery store, are you a senior citizen? I'll, I'll, I'll give you the senior citizen. I said, let's go wrestle out in the backyard and we'll tell me then if I'm a senior citizen. <laughs> I don't know when those gym shoes come in the mail that's got the Velcro straps on them, but I'm sending mine back. But I'll tell you, I, I'm not going to live forever. And if the Lord doesn't come, this ministry will have to go on. I mean, bless your hearts, there's some of God's people that can't even get to church the three Sundays in a row because they're too busy. You have something at 4 o'clock on Sunday, and you know what? You stay home on church on Sunday morning so you can get ready for it. You never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And I'm under no illusion when I have to go and I'm off the scene, if the Lord doesn't come, I'm under no illusion that, that in that day uh, many of you will be gone too. And I know you love me. I know you, I believe you do. But you know what? You don't love this work. You don't care about this ministry. You love me because I helped you in life. I give you the Bible. You get a lot of nice things. You fill up your Bible. But at the end of the day, you don't love this church. 
Now, I love this church, and I have been entrusted trust with this church. And God will bring me men and women who, who love this church and, 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 and feel the same trust as, as I do. I, I appreciate that when I'm gone, attendance pretty much stays right where it is when I'm here. I'm sure you got people out there that uh, when they find out I'm not going to be here, they're, they're not here. But I appreciate the fact that, that that's true. Now, last week I was gone up there in Vermont, and Danny preached. And Danny will preach the Word of God as good as I can every day, anytime you want to hear it. Last time I wasn't here, Bob preached. Bob will preach the Word of God as good as anybody I could on my best day or my worst day. When my wife was in the hospital and I was in between a rock and a hard place, I made one phone call to him on a Saturday night and I said, I have you to preach tomorrow because i got a situation here. He said, no problem. I listened in that day and I wept. I wept. God gives you men like that. When I was gone last year, Joe Christensen preached. You will find that there's a depth to men in this church that they don't just preach three out three little outlines in a poem. There's a depth to them because of the Word of God. We used to go down to Joplin, and they would ask me afterwards, and I'd always say, no, I've had my fun in the sun, man. Running around preaching is not what I'm looking to do anymore, and um, I'm waiting for them shoes to come with them Velcro straps on them. But they'd always come up to me, and they'd say, where do you find guys like that that can preach that way? I always tell them, you don't find them. You've got to build them. But God builds a core. And there's many other guys that, and gals. I said, I put some of you guys or and some of you gals up against any preacher in this country when it comes to that book. I've heard them all. I've listened to them all. And I hear you. And it's like milk toast. With you, it's like trying to get a drink out of a fire hose. Think about that one for a while. Yet in most churches or any church, that's not true. People will come just to hear the pastor. They don't, they don't give a hoot about the work, about the ministry. It's all about what they want. You never build a work of God with those kind of people. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And you see, the real issue about trust, and this is kind of ludicrous and ridiculous to even say this, but it's true. The real issue with trust is simply this. It's not the fact that we can't trust God. It's the bottom line that God can't trust us. That's the problem. Now, this verse will show us that in great detail. All right, look at verse 3 now. Here's what he says. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. First thing I want you to notice in our little word study of this thing is that you can't trust God with half your heart. You can't trust it with part of your heart. It's got to be 100% of your heart. And right there, you'll lose 85%, if not 90% of God's people. If you're not willing to give God everything, then you're not giving Him anything. There's no halfway measures with God. This trust is the heartfelt confidence which leads leans and relies on the Lord and counts him faithful to do what he's promised in your life, in your walk. And the number one issue with God's people today, it's real simple. See it all the time. They're just not totally sold out. Not to God, anyhow. 
Oh, they want God in his word, but they totally want it on their terms. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, he said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. You see, we're just not at the point of salvation. We're separated from the world. But then when you begin to walk with God, you've got to get separated from the world, but then you've got to get separated to something. And most of God's people have been separated from the world. They just never bother to get separated to anything. And that's why they don't care about churches. Oh, they love the Bible. They love the preachers. They love the people. They just don't love the work. So they make no investment in it. I've told you before that when God went back to heaven, he replaced himself with three things. told you many times. He replaced himself with the Holy Spirit of God. He replaced himself with the Word of God. And he replaced himself with the local church. They're all important. And you've got to have a trust and a relationship and a loyalty to each one of them. Now, the next part of that verse says, and lean not unto thine own understanding. And I will say this to you, brother, if there's anything that will get us in trouble, it's going through life by your own understanding. They say, let your conscience be your guide. They say, follow your heart. Follow your comma. Follow your dream. I have a dream. Pursue your happiness. Listen to that still, small voice inside you. Yeah, that demon you've been hanging out with for the last 25 years. Saw a thing in a paper one time. It said, in a religious section, it said, big thing, go to the church of your choice. Don't ever do that. Go, don't ever go to the church of your choice. Go to the church of God's choice. Lean on thine own understanding. And the reason why every one of us have gotten ourselves into some of the most bizarre, traumatic, tragic, catastrophic situations in life is simple. We operate in our own understanding instead of God's understanding. And many times we do it by choice. All secular education, unfortunately, 98% of most churches today teach you to rely on your own understanding. They have to, but they don't have a Bible anymore. I told you Thursday night, somebody asked a question. When you lose your Bible, you lose seven things. And it absolutely puts you in a no-win situation. Going to a church that doesn't believe and teach the King James Bible as the Word of God as, as the absolute Word of God will without a doubt destroy you, your family, your kids, and everybody connected with you. Then the next thing he says in the passage, in all thy ways acknowledge him. Genesis chapter 24, verse 27, another verse I learned very early in my Christian life. I think it's a great promise. And it's also a blanket promise. You could all apply this. He says, I being in the way, the Lord led. I being in the way, the Lord led. And the next verse says, in all thy ways acknowledge him. Now when you get to this phase of your Christian life, most people never do. But when you get to this phase of your Christian life, I got to be honest with you, the Christian life, at least in one respect, gets a little easier. It really does. Now, when you get to this phase of your Christian life, the walk with God gets a little easier if you're the real deal. I, I've told you many times that life is about choices. It's about where you go and about where you don't go. It's about who you hang out with and who you don't hang out with. It's about who you marry and who you don't marry. 
And this part of the verse is a total and complete concept and recognition of God's hand in leading in all phases of your life. God being involved in all our ways. Not some of them. Not the ones you want to let him in. All of them. All of them. God being involved in our ways, in the joys, in the success, in the failures, in the victories, in the sorrow, in the fun, in the activities, in the opposition you face, in the blessings, in our time of bereavement, and all the things that we attain in life. You see, the great New Testament principle is found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. It means that the Lord shall be acknowledged or should be acknowledged in all areas of our lives. You acknowledge him in the dining room, in the bedroom, in the kitchen, in the living room, on the TV set, when you're on your computer, in the field, on the highways, on the byways, on your vacation, with your family, with your friends, and everything that you do. And my dear friend, it's real simple. And when you get to this point in your life, your Christian life becomes real easy if you're the real deal. Now, if you're the raw deal, well, it doesn't. But if you get to this point in your Christian life, at least one aspect of your Christian life simplifies itself real good. Because if you're involved in something or going somewhere where you can't openly acknowledge God and take him in with you, then quit going there. It's just that simple. It's not complicated. Wow, well, that fixed 98% of our problem today. He says you acknowledge him in all your ways. That's the way you are in all that you do. Not just when you're here on a Sunday morning to put on a show when nobody sees through Monday through Friday and Saturday. Brother, that thing right there will cure you or kill you. We should keep our ways always before him and so open that you can call on him at any time in any place in front of anybody. Now you see how that fixes us? We are the biggest bunch of spiritual hypocrites you ever saw in your life. I mean, you go to a public restaurant, sit down there to feed your face. Do you ask God's blessing publicly? Or you're one of those kind of secret agent Christians that just kind of, you know, uh, bow your head like you've got something in your eye. You go to your friend's house for a cookout, go to watch the ball game, and they break out the beer and start passing it around. You get your beer in a hand, and then you ask God to bless it? Acknowledge him in all your ways or just the ways you want to acknowledge him? This thing will kill you, man. I mean, you never saw a deer hanging upside down with his guts hanging out more than you'll see yourself when you look at this passage. This thing will kill you, man. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Then the last part of this great passage. And he shall direct thy paths. The hand of God in your life and my life. You know, all of us, we all go through tough times in our lives. Nobody's going to escape it. Some of you have had to bury your mom and you bury your dad and lose your family. I lost my dad when I was 20, 20 years old. I understand. 
my mom's up in her 90s, and I know that she's got more time behind her than she's gotten ahead of her, and someday I'll have to preach that funeral, and I'll have to say goodbye to her. I know that. The tough times will come in your life. Tough times will be in my life. That, that, it's, it's the truest statement I ever heard. Life is a, on planet Earth is a veil of tears, man. You're always looking through the tears. And I, and I totally understand the process of getting biblical principles in your life to get you through. I preach on it all the time. How many times have you heard me say that your heart is like a bank account where you put money on the account, biblical principles. Now, when you have a tough time, you draw off the account. I believe that. I do. I, I, I believe that as much as I'm standing here. You've heard me preach a thousand times, Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I believe those things. But I've got to tell you something. And I can't speak for you now. I'm speaking for me. I think I could get through anything in life, no matter how hard it was, no matter how hard it would be, without any of the Bible principles. I, I thank God for them, and I'm not taken away from them. But I want to tell you something. I'm trying to make a point on this principle. I think I could get through anything in life, no matter how hard it was, without any Bible principles if I didn't have a one. But if I just know I'm right with God and where God wants me to be, and his hand is in my life, and he's directing every facet of my pathway, whatever I'm in, that would be good enough for me. If I know he's got his hand in it, I believe, Romans 8, 28, I believe that all things work together for good to them that love God who are called according to his purpose. I believe that. I believe that. I can rest in that no matter how hard it is, how bad it is. I thank God for the principles. But if I didn't have them, and all I had was what I was going through, and the, like what Job had. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have any of the stuff that we got. You know what got him through? And he went through in seven days what you and I will never go through in a lifetime. You know what got him through? He knew that God was in his life, and God was directing him. It got to the place where it got so bad, we bail out when it gets nowhere near that bad. It got so bad for him and then three friends show up, Dr. Fine, Dr. Howard, Dr. Fine, and they start to ridicule him and give him all kinds of problems. And when he's at the height of it, when he feels like he can't go any farther, and it must have been a terrible time, none of us will ever understand what he went through. But when he got to that point in his life, instead of quitting, instead of bailing out, instead of blaming God, instead of finding all kinds of fault, you know what he said? He said, yet though he slay me, will I trust him? Trust is a great thing. It's a great thing. And if we know that God has got his hand in our lives and he's directing us, there should be nothing in life we can't get through without the Bible. Thank God we got it. David one time sinned in numbering the people back in 2 Samuel chapter 24. And when God came down and held him accountable for it, God gave him a couple of choices of how God would chastise him. Let him pick. I love that. It's like that big game show, door number one, door number two, and door number three. You get to pick one of them behind it. Well, he said to David, I'll do, David, I'm going to come down and clobber you. But I'm going to let you choose. Three doors up here, David. Door number one, door number one is I'm going to send famine in the land for seven years. Door number two, your enemies are going to come down and kick the fire out of you. Door number three, I, God, am going to send pestilence to you, and I'll deal with you guys, and I'll send pestilence for three days. David said in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 14, didn't even pray about it. He says, I am in a great strait. Ever been in a great strait? You know what a great strait is? That's a situation where you got no movement. You're stuck. 
a great straight is a straight way, and you're stuck in the middle. You can't turn around. You can't go back. You can't turn sideways. You're in a great straight. Let us now fall into the hand of God, for his mercies are great. Let me not fall into the hand of man. David, you know what he said? He said, I don't care how bad it is. I don't care what God does. I know God's going to deal what's right with me. He's going to do right with me, and I'm going to let him whip me because I don't want the other nations to whip me. I don't want this to happen. I'm going to trust in God, and he's never hurt me, and he'll only give me what I need, and he'll not give me one more inch than I deserve. And he trusted the Lord. Pestilence came down for three days. Listen, I'd rather be on a train track with my car stalled, my door locks jammed, and a 90-mile-an-hour train just 100 yards heading my way in God's will, in God's plan, with God's hand in my life, than home in my bed, tucked in with the covers around my neck, without the hand of God in my life. And the majority of God's people today have no clue what I'm even talking about. They live in a world of relying on their own understanding. And they deceive themselves that God's hand is in their life when he is in 100 million light years around. We say we want to follow God, but it always has to be on our terms. There's always a condition. There's always a string attached. That's why in spite of what we claim, in spite of what we say, we never get any victory over anything in our life, in our life, our marriages, and our kids are just absolute chaos. It's just that simple. David said in Psalms 37, 24, oh, what a great verse. When God directs and his hand is in my life and in your life, he said, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That ought to be the state that every Christian wants to get to. You know why? Because when the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, you'll never be any place God doesn't want you to be. Psalm 73, 24 says, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Oh, yes, sir, boy. In this life right now, he guides you with his counsel. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But afterward, he's going to receive us up to glory. Now, that's what a Christian life should be. As simple as that. Getting God's direction in the paths of our life. And the book of Proverbs from the outside is a great book of wisdom to get into it and study it and learn all the wisdom of God. But now you see. Now you see this book lays you and me out wide open. It goes into the greatest detail. It takes off, it forces us to take off our mask and look at who we really are. Because who we really are, and I've told you this before, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says, the word of God is a living book. It says, the word of God discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. He says, neither is there any creature not manifested in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto him of the eyes we have to do. He sees it all. And the Bible's the only book, and I've told you this many, many times, it's the only book on the planet that when you start to read it, it starts to read you. And we opened the book of Proverbs, and we said, oh, we're going to have fun. We're going to get into this. The moment you crack those pages, Holy Spirit goes to work in your life. And today, churches are filled with thousands, thousands, thousands of people in churches today, and mostly for one reason. When someone showed them the truth, when someone showed them the book, 
When somebody showed them the truth about who they really were, they got as far away from that Bible as they could and yet pretend they love God. So they go to a church that has no Bible. They go to a church that preaches no Bible. They go to a church that you have no real accountability for yourself. A church where you can go every Sunday and never do one thing. Never do one thing for God all your life and pretend you're okay. A church where you can pretend you're spiritual and care about God, yet inside you despise the very book that exposed you and who you really are. And in that time, that evil man and that strange woman will work their way into every aspect of your life and God will take the very game that you tried to play on him and he'll turn it around and play it on you. Your life, your marriage, your family. I, I say it again. It's a great verse. And this is a great verse and a great principle. And this is, a, this is one, a blanket principle you can apply across the board. Job 9, 4. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered. Nobody. Nobody. We go from one great tragedy to another. Some great tragedy befalls us. We come back to church. We come back to God and, oh, we're this and we're that. And then after about a year, two years, six months, whatever the case may be, when it gets cold and indifferent, you start to go back to that old attitude and you know what it takes? It takes another tragedy in your life. That's why your life is one tragedy after another. That's why you go through one dark time after another. You just don't get it. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. The leading of God, the direction, hand of God in our lives. You know, years ago, I was up in the New England area and I was preaching up there and it was one of those seaport towns. I, I want to say it was Gloucester, but I can't remember exactly where it was. It was so many years ago. And I was staying with a family, and they had a little boat and took me out. It was a neat little deal. We were coming back into the, into the harbor, big old lighthouse there, beautiful place. And uh, uh, it was getting toward night, and as we were coming in, these three huge lights, I mean, they were like, look, from my thing, it looked like they were 200 yards apart, three huge lights were across the back of the bay. And, uh, and I, I asked the guy, I said, wow, I said, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's pretty neat. That, who couldn't find that? And he says, oh, he says, don't go by that. He said, this is one of the most da dangerous harbor entrances in all the world. We've lost more ships on, on these rocks because it's such a narrow channel. And he says, the bottom of this ocean or here going into this channel is just strewn with ships that, that sank because they hit the rock. He says, you know, about 60, 70 years ago, some guy designed a, a format that we could all enter in safely. He took and he put three lights, like you see them out there, and he says he's put them in such an array and such a design that when you see the three lights or you see the two lights, you're headed for the rocks. But if you get at the right angle to come into that, all three of those lights line up to be one light. And as long as you only see one light, you're on the safe path to get into that harbor. I thought to myself many, many years later that, you know, that's exactly what the principles in the Word of God do. When you've got an issue in your life and you've got a problem in your life, you know what you have to do? You have to line up all the biblical principles so they come into one focus. 
You have to take all of those blanket principles and all those specific principles, and when you start putting them into your life, they'll all line up into one. That's the safe course into the harbor of God. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. In our lives, when you have an issue, a decision to make, a problem to solve, you look to God for His leading, not to your own understanding or someone else's. You have to first take into account all the principles that come into play, the direct ones. And then when in your life, by the Word of God, they all line up as one, it's clear to proceed. It's like studying the Bible. You never need a pair of scissors when you study the Bible because there's never left anything hanging out that you've got to cut off. It all goes together. It all fits perfectly. And the principles of the Word of God, when you apply them right in your life, they'll line up and all of those principles will come into one central path to follow. All the principles, all the principles, not just the ones we like. And if you don't, then just like so many of those ships up in that New Linger Harbor, you'll wind up on the rocks in your life. Yea, Proverbs is a great book for sure. But I know of no other book in the Bible that exposes who we really are faster than the book of Proverbs does. And I, and I encourage you. You know, I encourage you. My encouragement to you through the book of Proverbs is simply this. Don't go another day in your life. Don't go another week before starting to put the directive hand of God in your ways. You may have to break off some relationships. You may have to change some things. You may have to quit going to another church. You may have to put some things out of your life, but you have got to get at some point in your life where you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. and all your ways acknowledge Him, and then He will direct your path. Let's pray. Father.